Hi, my name is Jackie Marcel, and I serve here at Heights Baptist Church in the children's ministry. Thank you so much for joining us online. If you would like to connect with us, we have a Facebook page, Instagram, and our website, which is heightschurch.org connect. Thank you so much for joining us today. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to say welcome you to you this morning. My name is Lee, and I'm one of the pastors here at Heights. If you are a guest with us today, I want to uh, say a special welcome to you. Uh, Pastor Jonathan referenced that Love and Lead 2030 uh, guide earlier in our service, and so if you didn't have a chance to pick one up on your way in, I've got some uh, gentlemen in the back that have those, so if you want to slip your hand up, uh, and they will get those to you. So if you need one of those, uh, just slip your hand up real quick, and they will hand you one. I'm going to refer to that uh, later in the sermon. And so I want to invite you today uh, to first say thank you with me. About a year ago, uh, I sat down with four of our uh, lay leaders with our ministerial staff and uh, coming out of COVID, kind of coming out of 2020, uh, coming into 2021, uh, we began to just pray as a staff, Lord, where do you want us to go as a church? What, what do you want to us to do? Um, you know, COVID really taught us a lot of things, and it taught us a lot of lessons, I think, about our faith and church. Uh, and so we just began to pray, what does the next, you know, several years look like? Where do we need to go uh, as a church? And so for about a year, uh, Pastor Matt, myself, Jonathan, Jackie, uh, we met with four of our lay leaders. And what's before you today is that work and that effort of Love and Lead 2030. And so I want to say just a special thank you to those uh, ministerial staff and our lay leaders. Those were Terry Blackwell, Anna Chanis, Robert Morris, and David Broadway. So let's thank them for all that time and work and effort. Um, we met a lot, we prayed a lot, we talked a lot. And so what you have before you is that today. And so I want to thank them so much for their hard work. You know, when you stop and think about prayer, as we just prayed and as you've prayed this morning, uh, think about your prayer life. And I want you to think about everything you have prayed for so far in the month of January. And let me ask you this question. If God today said resoundingly yes to everything you have prayed for so far this month, all right? So God said 100% yes to everything you've prayed for so far this year in January. How many people would be saved? How many people would be baptized? How would the kingdom of God so far in January have grown because God said 100% yes to everything you prayed for? See, what's interesting to me about this is that we as Christians will often spend the majority of our time praying for the very physical things in our lives, and very rarely will we pray for spiritual matters. Now, hear me and hear me well. It's okay to pray for physical things. It's okay to pray for jobs. It's okay to pray for health. Uh, it's okay to pray for that friend that's in the hospital. All those things are fine. But here's the thing. If you looked at your prayer list, if you looked at your personal prayer list, if you looked at the life group prayer list that you just went over, how many of those would you say were physical things, and how many of them would say those are spiritual matters? Because I would venture to guess this, that we spend the majority of our time, 95% at least of our prayer time with God, praying for the things that will perish, praying for the bodies that will perish. 
But we spend probably less than 5% of the time praying for the thing that will not perish, the soul. We'll pray for the physical, temporal, and rarely will we pray for the eternal. If you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to go to Ephesians chapter 3, whether you're going to access that uh, digitally, whether you're going to access that uh, in your hand. Because in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus. And what you will find often in the Bible is very rarely are prayers offered for physical matters. The majority of the prayers you're going to read in the Bible, especially through Paul in the New Testament, focus on spiritual matters, focus on the heart of the person, the soul of the person. And in Ephesians chapter 3, in verses 1 through 13, Paul is saying, here is how the gospel has come to me and how the gospel has spread through me to the Gentiles. And understand that's always God's plan. God's plan, A, to get the gospel out to more and more people is the church. It's you. The gospel comes to you. You believe in the gospel. You share the gospel and it goes out. So Paul says in verses 1 through 13, chapter 3, here's how the gospel came to me and here's how the gospel has spread through me. Then in verses 14, 14 through 21, Paul begins to pray for the church in Ephesus. And look at that prayer with me. In verses 14 through 16, Paul is saying, I am praying that you will be strengthened in your faith by the Holy Spirit. All right, so I'm praying for your strength in your faith through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will strengthen you. Then in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 17, he's praying that they would be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. This is how Paul is praying for that friend, praying for that neighbor, praying for that church member. And then in verses 18 through 19, Paul says this. He says, I'm praying that you comprehend, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now look at me. Did you see how Paul prayed? He prayed three very important spiritual prayers for his friends. He says, I'm going to pray that you are strengthening your faith by the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray that you are rooted and grounded in the love of God. I'm going to pray that you know just how much Jesus loves you. And then at the end of the prayer, Paul gives this doxology. A doxology is a short hymn of praise. All right, so a doxology is a, a fresh expression to God in a short hymn. And he ends this prayer this way in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. This morning as we examine verses 20 through 21 in that doxology and we think about prayer, let's kind of ask three questions this morning about what happens when we pray. How does prayer work? And, and maybe uh, today you might say, hey, I don't really know how to pray. Uh, maybe I don't know what happens when I pray. I don't know what that looks like in prayer. And so let's look at what Paul teaches us about prayer. First is, what does God do when we pray? All right, so that's the good first question to start with. What happens when we pray? When you pray, 
What does God do on your behalf? Look in verse 20. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we all ask or think. All right, stop right there. When you pray, God is doing more than you can even imagine through that prayer. God is doing more than you can think or you can ask when you pray. When you're praying, God's working, and the way God's working is he will do more than you can even think and imagine. Maybe you've experienced that in your life. You've prayed for something, and then God gave you something greater. God moved in a way you didn't expect, and you're like, whoa, <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Right? It's because the all-powerful God is doing more than we can ever think or imagine when we pray. This speaks really to the sovereignty of God. This speaks to the power of God. This speaks that God is going to always work his will out in his way and in his timing. You know, I, I've been watching uh, the, the Chosen series, and I know some of you are watching the Chosen series as well, and there was a, there was a, a spot in an episode uh, that really struck me the other day when I was watching it, and it was Peter, and he was talking with a Roman official, and they were working on fixing a well together. And it was really funny, they got this part fixed, and they, they kind of celebrated, and they high-fived together. And then Peter kind of looked at his hand, and he was like, oh no, what did I just do? I just touched a, a Roman. And this Roman official looked at him and he said, we weren't supposed to do that, right? And Peter's like, no, we, we, we weren't supposed to do that. And, and the Roman official looked at him and he said, you know, for you Jews, it's got to be really hard to keep up with all the rules that you guys have. And Peter was like, yeah, you know, it is pretty hard to keep up with all the rules we have. And then the Roman official looked at him and he said, but now wait a minute, you only believe in one God, right? And Peter looked back at him and he says, well, yeah, we only believe in one God. And he said, it's hard for us to keep you know, all the rules that we have and remember them. He says, but isn't it hard for you guys to remember all the gods that you pray to? And the Roman was like, well, no, nah, it's, it's kind of easy. If you're going to go travel and you pray to this God, and if you're going to go do this, you pray to this God. If you're going to do this, you're going to pray to this God. If you're going to do this, you're going to pray to this God. And he started listing out all these gods that you pray to for certain situations in your life. He looked back at Peter and he goes, but you only pray to one God? And Peter looked at him and he said, yes, because I believe this one God is more powerful than all of your gods. Amen? Isn't that good news? That when we pray, we're praying to the one God who is more powerful than any other gods, who is doing more than we can think and imagine when we pray. And so when we pray, God is working out uh, things more than we can think and imagine. But, but let me ask you this, how does he do it? How does God do that when we pray? That's our second question this morning. How does God work when we pray. All right, so what does he do when we pray? He's doing more than we can think and imagine. How does he do that when we pray? Look in verse 20 again. He says, now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we can think and ask, and here's what God is doing when we pray, according to the power at work within us. So when you pray, God's power is at work within you. The Holy Spirit, God's power is at work in you when you pray. 
Now stop and think about that with me for a minute. That's pretty amazing. Because I believe that just as the Bible says, we serve an all-powerful God. And you stop and think about God's power in creation. This is God that spoke everything to existence. This is God's power this morning that literally is making your mind think, your heart beat, and your lungs fill with air and exhale with air. Every breath, every heartbeat, every moment your mind is firing off something, God is working in your life. That is his power. If you stop and think about his creative power, it's pretty awesome when you look out at that sunset or that sunrise or that clear blue sky or, or even those mosquitoes we've all come to love, right? You just study those things after you've killed it and you go, man, look at all the intricate details God made of that mosquito, right? I mean, there's God's power in creation. But what about in your life? There's God's power in your life. This is God that's making you function. This is God that heals you. This is God that forgives you of your sin. This is God that as a believer in Jesus Christ, when you die, raises you from the dead so you have eternal life with him. That's all because of God's power. But you stop and think about his power and think about people in the Bible. I mean, think about how God in his power worked through Moses and Elijah and Esther and Peter and Paul, and think about people all throughout church history, how God in his power has used ordinary people to do extraordinary things. See, when we're praying, God's power is at work within us. Now, within the context, I believe, of what Paul's saying to the church of Ephesus here, is he's saying, when you pray, God's doing more than you think and can imagine, but when you pray, his power is helping you stay the course. His power is saying, don't quit. You can get through this. You can keep going. Don't give up. I'm giving you power to keep on in your faith, to deepen your faith, to continue in your faith. So when we pray, God's doing more than we think and imagine. How is he doing it? He's doing it through his power at work in us. But let's ask this. The third question. Why pray? Why, why pray? Well, why even offer up prayers to God? Now, I know you might look back right at me and say, well, that's silly. Well, I'm praying because I need stuff. <laughs> I need a job. I need to feel better. This back pain's got to go away. <laughs> that's why I'm praying. But I want you to notice why Paul, in verse 21, says, here's why we pray. He says in verse 21, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Here's why you pray. You're praying for God to be glorified. Paul says, to him be glory in the church. So as we're praying, God is doing more than we think and imagine. He's given us the power in prayer. He's given us power to sustain us in our lives. But he's doing that for his glory. Now, the word glory is a kind of a churchy term, and so if you're uh, not familiar with church, let me just break down the word glory for you. It's real easy to understand. It, it means to worship. Glory means to give praise. All right? We give glory a lot of times in our lives. Right? The baseball player hits the home run over the fence. Boy, we give glory. Right? All right? The Cowboys kicker makes an extra point. You give glory. All right? 
You're at the band concert, and the band finishes, and they stand up, and you stand up, and you applaud, and a standing ovation. You're giving the orchestra and the conductor glory. The Bible says we're to glorify God, worship God, give praise to God for the way He's working in our lives, the way He has worked in our lives, and the way He will work in our lives. And so Paul says when we pray, we're really praying to give glory to God. Because did you notice in verse 21 where he says the glory comes from? He says two places. He says you're giving glory to God in the church, all right? That's you, all right? That's you, that's brothers and sisters in Christ all around our world this morning, that's what we call the universal church. So there are Christians, there are disciples of Jesus giving glory to God in China today, down in South America today, in Africa today, over in New Mexico today, in California today. There are brothers and sisters all around our world this morning giving glory to God. But also when we meet in a local church, when we come together, we're giving glory to God as brothers and sisters in Christ, as disciples in Christ, thanking Him for who He is, for what He has done, what He's doing, and what He will do. So first, we give glory to God through the church, through, through us, in our lives, individually, corporately. But you notice also in verse 21, who else gives glory? It's to Christ. Christ gives glory. It's God the Son, who said He came to the earth, to do the will of God the Father. He says, I, I'm here to glorify my Father. How did he glorify God? He glorified God the Father by perfectly obeying him. He glorified God the Father by going to a cross and becoming sin for us so that we would become the righteousness of God in him. He glorified God through his resurrection. He glorified God in all that he did. So it is us in the church that gives glory to, to God. It's Christ who gives glory to God. And all that happens when we pray. You know, in your hand this morning is our Love and Lead 2030 plan. And in our Love and Lead 2030 plan, we have built this off of two biblical concepts. The first biblical concept is this, it's spiritual formation. And our heart over the next seven years is to say we want to help you become more mature followers of Jesus Christ. If you think of spiritual formation, that's exactly what that means. It means for you to develop uh, your faith, to grow in your faith. Because one day you're going to stand before the Lord. And just like Paul says in Colossians 1 and 28 through 29, uh, we want to present you mature and complete in Christ. You know, Pastor Matt and I were talking this week about kind of how to illustrate spiritual formation for you, and he reminded me of the sequoia redwood trees. And there's a picture there on the screen for you of the sequoia redwood trees. And what's fascinating about these trees is they're some of the tallest trees in all of the world. Some of them will grow over 300 feet tall. But if you examine just one tree, actually the root system out of one tree is very shallow. So even though the tree may grow up to 300 feet, its roots only go down about 12 feet. But what's amazing about the sequoia redwood trees, and you see them right there, is that underground is the root system between tree and tree and tree interlock. See, the only way one tree grows is because it's linked to another tree. The only way all the trees stand up in that picture is because they've interlocked the root system. 
And so in spiritual formation, it's about your spiritual growth that you're now going to help someone else spiritually grow as well. We're going to be interlocked in that. And so that's our first concept that we've built our plan off of, is being able to say we want to see disciples made that are going to make more and more disciples, interlocked with each other, helping each other grow and helping each other stand in our faith when we need to be able to stand. And also, our second biblical concept is gospel saturation. Gospel saturation means this, that we desire that the gospel uh, goes out to every man, woman, and child in our area in a language and a culture in which they understand. So we want all people in our area to be able to have an opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel in a language and a culture in which they understand. Now, we illustrated gospel saturation for you this way. Think about kind of ivy on the side of a house, and you see that picture there. And on that picture, uh, you see, you don't see the, the, the side of the house anymore, right? You don't know if it was a brick house, if it was stucco, if it was white, if it was yellow, what, what the color of the, the side of the house was. Why? Because the ivy has taken over the side of that house. That's what we want with gospel saturation is the gospel to saturate our area that you see the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ lived out in people's lives. So if you take that guidebook in your hand and you open up to the very first page, the way we're expressing our 2030 plan, if you had to ask me, Lee, what is the next seven years in the life of our church look like? What's the vision? Where are we going? What are we going to do? It's this, and we summarize it for you this way. By 2030, we will equip you to reach your community with the good news of Jesus so that all people may have new life with Christ. Over the next seven years, that's what we want to do as a church. We want to equip you to be able to reach your community with the good news of Jesus Christ so all people may have a new life with Christ. Now, how does that look? And what are we going to do? And how in the world are we going to do it? Well, let me ask you to turn to page 7. On page 7, let's just kind of understand a little bit about our area. And through our research, here's some things we have found about the Alvin, Iowa Colony and Manville area. Now, I know not all of you live in Alvin or Iowa Colony or Manville. Some of you live in Pearland. Some of you live in Santa Fe. Some of you live in Hitchcock. All right. Hear me and hear me really clearly. We are not opposed to people in Pearland coming to know Jesus, all right? They could drive a little better, but, you know, we're not opposed to people in Santa Fe coming to know Jesus. We're not opposed to people in Hitchcock coming to know Jesus. So if you live in one of those areas and you see Alvin, Iowa Colony, and Manville written down, and you go, well, what about my area? Let me remind you, what we're going to do over the next seven years is to equip you to reach your community with the good news of Jesus Christ so that all people may have new life with Christ. And so we would love for you to reach people in Santa Fe, in Paraland, wherever God has put you. But we decided as a team, we needed to aim at something. Because if you know this, if you aim at nothing, you're bound to hit what? Nothing. Right? So we said literally our aim is Alvin, Iowa Colony, and Manville. Right? Do you notice that? A-I-M, aim? Okay, you're picking that up. All right, there you go. That was Pastor Jonathan's work there. So. <laughs> so if you thought that was a bad dad joke, that one's on him. I only tell good dad jokes, all right? 
So that's our aim, Alvin, Iowa Colony, and Manville. And here's what we have found in our research. It's close to 87,000 people in those three areas. The population is continually growing. It's 48% non-white, so we are a very diverse area. Uh, also, we are beginning to be more of a younger area. 60% of all people living in Alvin, Iowa Colony, and Manville are under the age of 40. The largest generation is the Generation Z, uh, so those that are littles and teenagers. Uh, the next are the Millennials. And then also, this was kind of surprising to our team and maybe to you as well, is we are a very unchurched area. Now, you might stop and think, wait a minute, this is Texas, we're the Bible Belt, and everybody's a Christian. Well, not in Alvin, Iowa Colony, and Manville. 56%, almost 47,000 people, according to research, do not go to church anywhere on a Sunday morning. Just stop and think about it. They're not going anywhere on a Sunday morning. Now, I would think the number is actually probably a little bit higher because you know how you have done sometimes on surveys where you don't always tell the truth. Okay? I'll leave that to the reader to understand that comment. And so that number is probably actually in reality higher. But what you and I need to understand is there are a lot of people around us today that are looking for hope, they're looking for answers. They're looking for what's going to happen to them after they die. What's going to happen to their children and their grandchildren. And so we have a great opportunity. And so we have developed six initiatives that we talked about as a group. We put before the Lord in prayer and we're putting before you. Here's what we're going to do over the next seven years. And so on uh, page eight, if you will go to gospel saturation, we are planning, shooting, praying for 200 baptisms. That's going to come through personal evangelism efforts uh, that you, over the next seven years, you're going to be talking with your neighbors, inviting them, sharing the gospel with them. We also desire to plant four new churches in the next seven years. We also desire to start a Hispanic ministry over the next seven years. And as I have said before you, and I will say again today, I don't know how all of that's going to happen. So a lot of you say, well, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? I don't know. What I have right now is more questions than I have ideas. But here's the good news. I know a God that already knows. That's all I need to do today. I need to say, hey, here's step A. We're going to take step A. And so we've already began applying and praying through these initiatives. We've already began applying and praying through the concept of, God, where are you working and how can we join you there? And so let me tell you how that's already played out. Back in October, the Southern Baptist Convention of Texas called me. That's one of our state conventions uh, that we support. They know us. Uh, they know we have a passion for church planning. They know we have a passion to see people come to know Christ. So I got a call uh, late September, early October. And they said, hey, do you know Ray Cantoon down in the Gulf Coast Baptist Association? I said, yeah, I know Ray. I've known Ray for a few years now. He said, well, Ray feels led to start a new church called La Speranza over in Bazoria. And Ray had been the pastor of Nueva Vida in Angleton. And Ray, after pastoring this church for about 12 years, uh, it has grown as a, a nice-sized Hispanic church. Ray felt the call, him and Juanita, to go to La Speranza in Brazoria, a church that had been closed for four years, and to restart that church. So what Ray did was he raised up a new pastor at Nueva Vida, and he went over to La Speranza to start it. 
And so they called and they said they need a supporting church. They need a church to kind of back them in prayer and just come alongside them and encourage them. Would you consider that? And I said, well, yeah, let me consider it. Let me pray about it. Talk to Ray. Talk to our missions team. We prayed about it as a staff. We talked about it as deacons. We said, all right, let's, let's go do this. Let's help support Ray and his new work. So this morning, I want you to meet Ray and Juanita Cantoon there on the screen and just learn a little bit about them. Hello, my name is Ray Kenton, the pastor at Esperanza and Brazoria. That is the church that we just uh, opened up because the Lord called us there. Uh, we've been blessed to be there on God's calling. Uh, we thank God for uh, Highs Baptist Church that have come along to sponsor us. Uh, we're happy for you all and we just pray for you all all the time, uh, not knowing you yet, uh, but knowing that you all are praying for us also and we just thank God for that. Uh, God continues to do great things. Uh, by the grace of God, we had three baptisms in December and we had six in January. And we know that God will continue bringing people to Him just like He has brought us uh, in the past and He will continue bringing us in the future. And I want Ina can too, and I want to uh, thank you for your prayers that we can see that they're working uh, the Lord has been good uh, to us there at Esperanza. And like our saying says, Mi casa es su casa. My house is your house. And in other words, my church is your church. And I'm so happy to be part of your church. And I want to thank you for all your prayers because I see God's hands are working. Thank you. Amen. You know, on our YouTube page this morning, I'm going to email you out the link as Ray and I sat down last week and had a longer conversation. And so you can watch that YouTube video and learn more about his story and how God's worked in his life. But in that amazing, already a new church plant, two months old, and they've already baptized nine people. Amen? And just look at that. I mean, yeah, let's, let's celebrate that. Amen. And look, you might go, how in the world are we going to plant four new churches in seven years? Well, guess what? We already got one. I mean, this book's outdated, right? What's going on now? We just need three, right? So the Lord's going to work. The Lord's moving. The Lord's, you know, we're just going to find where he's working. But also, page nine looks at our spiritual formation. It's our desire to intentionally disciple 350 people in the next seven years in personal one-on-one -on -one, uh, interactions. 80% of people in our life groups, 80% of people in our worship services serving. We want to see you grow in your faith. Now, as you think of where we are today, some of you have already said, man, 2030, I'll be 80. I'll be 84. I had somebody come up to me last week, I'll be 83 in 2030. And I didn't think about it quick enough, so I had some time to think about it this morning. And, and so here's my response to that. Hey, man, God called Moses at 80, right? God did the greatest work in Moses' life at the age of 80 and above. Welcome on to the team, right? Yeah? And, and so you may say, hey, I don't know if I'm even going to be here at Ice Baptist Church in seven years. Well, you're here now, okay? And this is what we're going to do. And I know you can look at this, and you can go, hey, you know what? This is going to be hard. This is going to cost resources. We're going to have to make sacrifices. Hey, this is going to be hard. This is going to take sacrifices on our part. This is going to, this is going to cost resources for us. 
And you may sit there and say, you know, the easiest thing we can do is to do nothing. The easiest thing we can do is just keep on doing what we're doing because it looks like things are going fine the way we're doing them. You know what? I think the worst thing we could do is just to keep on going like we're going. I think the worst thing we could do is not to do anything because that doesn't honor God at all. And yes, this is going to be hard. Yes, it's going to take resources. And yes, it's going to take sacrifices. But let me remind you, for those of you that have been here for a while, or if you're new with us, let me catch you up a little bit about the history of our church. You know, October 31st, 1965, we became Heights Baptist Church. We became Heights Baptist Church because we were a church plant at one point in our history. Members from First Baptist Church in Alvin had a vision to send members out to this property so that the gospel would go out in this community. And so there were members, and we still have some of those members that were part of this original core, who came on this property, and there were none of these buildings. And you can talk to some of them, and they can point to some of these trees on the property and say, man, we prayed under there, we had prayer meeting under there, we had tent vacation Bible schools on this part of the property. I mean, this was just grass and pasture at one point. But I'm so grateful to those folks from First Baptist Church who had a vision to say, you know what, this is going to be hard. This is going to take resources. This is going to be sacrificial. I'm going to have to leave a church I love. I'm going to have to leave a Sunday school class I love. I'm going to have to go out and do something I've never done before. I'm so glad that original core and so many of you have had the heartbeat over the years of let's do whatever we got to do to reach the next person for Jesus. Amen? And, and, and so let me just ask you this morning to put your yes on the table. That's all we need right now. Just your yes on the table. To say, God, you know what? Use me to help plant more churches. God, use me to help start a Hispanic ministry. God, use me to help see more people come to be baptized. God, use me to help disciple new people. God, use me to help teach new life group classes. Lord, use me to help in ministry because we want to see more and more people come to know Jesus Christ. And so here's our prayer. Our prayer is all these plans that we have laid before you over the last three weeks. Our prayer is Ephesians 3, verses 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can think or ask according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus for the next generation and the next generation and all generations to come. So I want to invite you to bow in prayer with me this morning. Father, our prayer that I'm laying before you, that I'm asking this church to lay before you, is to put a yes right now on the table. To say, let's do what we have to do so it is near impossible to go to hell from the Alvin, Iowa colony and Manville area. Lord, help us be a people that don't look at initiatives like this and think, how in the world are we going to do it? But help us to look at these things and say, God, to far greater than we can even think and ask right now. So right where you are, I'm going to invite you, whether you're a guest this morning 
or you've been here for 50 years, or you were part of that original core back in 1965, to say, Lord, I'm putting my yes down. I'm going to invite you, no matter your age, in other words, you're a child, you're a teenager, you're, you're the 80-year-old this morning, you're the 40-year-old, 45, no matter the age, the Lord has brought you here, the Lord has you here, and will you make a commitment Just be able to say, God, do far more greater things than we can think and imagine. Would you be willing to make that sacrifice this morning? Be willing to give up those resources? Be willing to do the hard thing for the next generation to come? Just like that original chord did for you. Would you be willing to do it for someone else? I want you to talk to God in prayer this morning about that. Maybe this morning it's to answer a call just as Ray had on his life. I want to go help start a church. I'm already praying that, that right now someone in our congregation is going to, 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 to raise up and say, yeah, I want to start a church, get the gospel out. Then we're going to have members be ready to go when that time comes to say, Let, let's get the gospel in, in Manville or Southside Alvin or somewhere else where growth's happening and those folks are underserved. What's God calling you to do right now to help spread the good news of Jesus Christ so all people will have new life with him? Father, you call us to be kingdom builders. That's who we are. We're not building our kingdom. This isn't about Heights Baptist Church. This is about you. This is about your name. Because it's, it's, it's your name at stake. And as you're praying right now, I want you to pray about that. Someone in our community today is either worshiping the name of God or they're cursing the name of God. Someone right now is about to pass away in our community and and they're either going to heaven or they're going to hell. So as you're praying through this, realize what we're asking God to do is far bigger than our church. It's his name that's at stake. It's his name that matters. It's his kingdom that we're here to build. Father, help us to be kingdom builders. Help us to be people equipped to reach our community with the good news of Jesus so that all people may have life with you now and for all of eternity. And so, Lord, thank you for the way you have moved in the life of Heights Baptist Church in all these years. And God, I pray that you are going to do greater things in the future of our church through these men and women through these teenagers, through these boys and girls, than we can think or even imagine. And we want to see that happen because it is your name to be glorified. It is you to be worshiped, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Hi, I want to thank you for watching today's message. And I want to just leave you with one final question. If you were to die today and to stand before the Lord in judgment, and God just asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? You know, common answers, a lot of times people will say, well, I've been good. I've tried to obey, you know, all the laws, or I've tried to do everything you wanted me to do, God. Um, You know, sometimes folks say, well, 
you know, I grew up going to church. But really, the answer the Bible gives us is the only way we get into heaven and the only reason we're welcomed into God's heaven is because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross for us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that it is Christ who knew no sin, who became sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And so what that means is simply this, that Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man here on this earth, He lived a sinless life. Uh, he obeyed God perfectly. He obeyed everything. Never once did He sin. But then they put Him on a cross. You know, the, the, the religious leaders, the Romans, they didn't like Him. So they crucified Him. But while He was there on the cross as God's Son, all of our sin, my sin, your sin, was put upon Him. The Bible says that uh, the Lord had laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. That means this, that Jesus at that very moment, even though He had never sinned in His life, became sin for you. He became sin for me. And now, because Jesus died on that cross for us, He was put in a tomb and three days later rose again, that the Bible says when we receive Him in our lives, we choose to follow Him, that we now get His righteousness. And so God sees Jesus in us. And now we're declared not guilty. And we have a relationship with God now that lasts throughout all of eternity. And so that great exchange takes place in your life when you say yes to Jesus Christ. You turn from your sin. You place your faith, your trust in Him as the Lord and Savior of your life. So I want to encourage you to do that today. You can simply just pray right where you're along with me. And, uh, the, you know, this prayer isn't magical by any stretch of imagination, but the Bible tells us to call out to the Lord. Uh, for salvation. So you could just bow right where you are and simply pray, Dear God, today I'm ready to follow Jesus. I want to turn from my sin and find forgiveness and life in Christ. Thank you, God, for saving me. You know, friend, if you've prayed that, I encourage you to let us know because we want to come alongside of you, encourage you, answer questions, and help you along that journey with following Jesus. So you can connect with us at heightschurch.org slash connect, heightschurch.org slash connect, and just fill out that decision form and we will be in touch with you. So thank you for watching today. And uh, please, we encourage you if you're in our area, uh, join us on a Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. or find us here again on YouTube and Facebook. God bless.